Welcome to Acute Conversations, the official podcast of APTA's Academy of Acute Care, where we share engaging conversations about acute care physical therapy so you can connect to your profession. I'm Ashley. And I'm Leo. Today we chat with Kevin Bruley. We discuss his new position as Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Acute Care Physical Therapy, also known as Jackpot, and what it takes to get published. And how is golf related to all this? Kevin, welcome. Thanks for being here. Thank you very much for the invitation. Of course, we're really excited to hear about your journey and how you got here. So why don't you start by just letting us know a little bit about you and your educational journey and how you got to where you are today. Sure. So I, I began my journey in physical therapy as a second career. My first career was in sales, believe it or not. And I returned back to school in the early mid-90s to get my physical therapy degree. And I worked in the clinical end for about six or seven years, primarily at the Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville, Florida, in acute care. And at that point, I decided I wanted to get back into some academic work and at least give it a shot. So I started my PhD at Nova Southeastern University in an online program back 2002, I guess, maybe somewhere in there. And after a couple of years of study, I had an opportunity to join the Texas Tech Health Sciences Center out in Texas as a full-time faculty member. So I finished my degree, my PhD in, in education at Texas Tech. And let's see, I graduated there in 2008. And I went right into an academic role as soon as I started at Texas Tech while I was doing my degree. And when I finished at Texas Tech, I started working my way back east as I'm a, a Pennsylvanian born and raised. And I came to New Orleans to LSU Health Sciences Center. And in 2012, now it's probably 10, maybe walking through combined sections meeting and happened upon a booth from someone who was recruiting for a new developing program at Lynchburg College up in Virginia. And I ended up applying and getting that job and developed the DPT program at Lynchburg College. Ended up starting a second program at Wingate University in Charlotte. Uh, I guess probably I wanted to be a little bit warmer. So after I left Wingate, I took a department chair job at Augusta University in, in Georgia and stayed there for three years. And in the meantime, while I was doing all these academic jobs, I had an opportunity to be the editor, co-editor-in-chief of the Journal of Physical Therapy Education. So uh, let's see, I think that was 2018 through 2020, I believe. I think my, my term expired just as COVID was coming around. He enjoyed the role. There they do a three-year appointment. And once my three-year was up, I knew I wanted to continue doing something in in editing and having been a long-term acute care member, I wanted to continue in that role. I had served as associate editor for the acute care journal way back when I first had started at Texas Tech. So I'd been working in that role for 18 years or so, I guess. And then when the editor-in-chief, when, when Glenn Erian retired and left his, left his laptop on his desk, so to say, they <laughs> needed a, an editor-in-chief and I threw my name in the hat, and I picked up with the editor-in-chief duties here February of 22. 
Kevin, can I take a step back? Can I, can I go back to the fact that you were working in sales? Yes. And then you ended up going into, into physical therapy. Can you talk, first of all, what were, what were you selling? And then what caused that, that jump to go from sales into physical therapy? Yeah, well, I grew up and my dad was a self-employed car dealer. So he owned a car dealership since I was three years old. He was a Dodge dealer and uh, built the business in 1965. And I had grown up around the garage. And when I graduated college in the 80s with my baccalaureate degree in physical education, I could make a lot more money working with him and helping him. And his health was failing. So he kind of wanted to give me a chance to take over the business if I wanted to. And so I joined him for about seven or eight years. I was able to work with him before I decided that I wanted to go back to school. And that's when I, when I embarked on my therapy career. Well, I have to ask you why acute care? Like so many people, you know, love it. People hate it. Like what, what drew, what drew you to acute care specifically? A lot of people have asked me that for my career. To be honest, it, it felt to me simply because I enjoyed the pace, number one, of having a fast environment, really. I mean, you're, you're in charge of your own schedule, but when they put 12 or 14 cases on your, on your schedule during the day, you can't spend an hour with every person, obviously, or you wouldn't go home at night. But it allowed me the opportunity to have new diagnoses every day, new comorbidities, new challenges, to use my anatomy and physiology every day in the knowledge that I had. And I really enjoyed being around other healthcare workers. I liked having the opportunity to, you know, have nursing to chat with and have radiology around and have respiratory around and the attending physicians and the surgeons. And I learned so much every day that I went to work. I'd never came home that I hadn't learned something that day. So it was very rewarding to me simply because of those two factors that I had the opportunity to, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a person that did a lot of sports in high school and college and I like to be moved. I want to be moving fast. Mm-hmm. So that gave me that opportunity. It allowed me to learn a lot. And it allowed me the opportunity to just enjoy my career. It wasn't the same thing. I didn't know that I had this person coming at 10 o'clock and 1030 and 11 o'clock. It was pretty much new people every day. Like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. <laughs> exactly. I also love that I no one does my schedule for me. That's one of the things I also love about acute care. So I'm with you on that one. How about you, Leo? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I agree. And, and you wrote, you know, that you're in acute care when you're likely to meet all new people on your caseload in the day. And so, you know, very often we're seeing new patients and, and you might not exactly know who's going to be on your caseload. And even you know, from day to day, things can change. You might have a follow-up from the day before or inheriting a patient from somebody else. That fast-paced environment, I think, was, was really fun. Now, the other thing I wanted to ask you with your background in sales and also you with your, with your undergrad degree, how did that kind of come into play with working on acute care? Because again, you're meeting new people very often and you have to kind of sell the fact of what physical therapy is to get patients to participate in therapy and also other healthcare providers to value what we bring to the table. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right, Leo. <laughs> acute care therapy is sales. I mean, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's mm-hmm. a certain portion of that that 
when you arrive at someone's door, they don't really <laughs> always want to see you. Right. So you're, you're not always the favorite person. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes you have to you have to negotiate with them and navigate that process of well, you know, I'll tell you what, I'll I'll do this if you'll do that kind of a thing, mm -hmm. uh, and and negotiate to get them to participate sometimes. And, and, and I, and I agree that, you know, with the other healthcare providers around you're selling your services for sure. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I, I think it helped me. I've never been afraid to talk to anyone as a result of my sales experience. Mm -hmm. I, I, I didn't want to continue in sales cause I didn't want to have to talk to people, mm -hmm. but I found that when I was going to try to work with them as a physical therapist, I didn't have that. I have to talk to you. It's that I'm here to try to help you. So it was a whole different mindset for me, and it was a very nice welcome chain. Well, Kevin, I have to go back to like your role as an editor-in-chief, and a lot of people either have published or want to publish, and I feel like that first journal publication is a really big, memorable moment in a lot of PT's lives. Can you tell us what your first journal publication was? Sure. I remember it well, as a matter of fact, I had, I had just joined the faculty at Texas Tech and I was working with a person at Mayo Clinic, an anesthesiologist who I had become friends with. I emailed him and said, would you be willing to work with me on a, on a paper that helps people understand what we did in femoral nerve catheter placement for total knee arthroplasty patients? And he said, sure. So I started uh, putting down everything I knew and did a little bit of looking it up and trying to gain as much knowledge as I could in, in background and sent it off to him. And he polished it up a little bit and added a little bit more of the science and what he did on his end. And I didn't really exactly know where to go, but I thought, well, it makes sense to go to acute care journal. Back in those days, we didn't have the Journal of Acute Care Physical Therapy. We had what was called Acute Care Perspectives, which was a newsletter by definition, but it was peer-reviewed, and, and Glenn Erian was trying to build it up into a full journal. And so I submitted it there, and it was a something that they liked, but they obviously had some corrections or, or additions that they wanted to have incorporated in, which we made very quickly. And... It was actually rather painless. And I thought, wow, I can really do this. I really, I just remember the euphoria of getting that first acceptance letter saying you're going to, you're going to appear in this journal and, um, you'll be getting your copy edit. I need you to proofread it and, you know, we'll, we'll get it published as soon as we're able to publish that. And I, I. I think I still have it. As a matter of fact, I even printed it out on a color printer at work of the first page and I framed it and put it on my wall in my office. I think it's still in my boxes of things from my office, but I was that proud of it because that oh, first okay. one is really, you think it's, it's this impossible chore that no one can accomplish except, you know, the one percenters or the one tenth of one percenters. But it really isn't that way. I mean, if you have something that's unique and and valuable that your colleagues in the healthcare industry could learn from, that's really what publishing and, and peer-reviewed articles is all about. Yeah, and that's such an exciting moment. I I mean, 
also framed on the wall. Like, I love it. I, it really is an accomplishment. But I, I have to ask, you know, you, you've worked with a lot of journals and now as the editor-in-chief, can you let our audience know how often, what percentage does somebody get their publication accepted with no revisions, no corrections at all? I've seen it once in the... As editor now of four years, I've seen it once. Uh, I've never had it myself. Right. So people shouldn't take that as a slight, right? Like you're going to submit it and it's bound to come back to you and that's okay. Yeah. You have to have a thick skin. You have to have a thick skin. I mean, the, the, the review process is there to make it the best it can be. And these reviewers are not giving up their time to just say, oh yeah, it's good. Let it go. They really want to make it the best it can be. And then the, the other staff at the, you know, the back end of the journal also want it to be the best it can be simply because it's expensive to publish. We at, at Journal of Acute Care Physical Therapy don't charge the author, but many do because it is very expensive to publish. It can cost anywhere, you know, from, from, $150 to $3,500 to publish your article, depending on where you want to publish it. But we don't, we don't require that. We pay for it out of the academy funds. The cost should not be an issue for the author. They just need to put in their hard-earned time, right? That's exactly right. And yeah. like you said, have a thick skin and understand that, you know, there's, there's going to be something that someone's going to suggest and you may or may not agree with it. It's kind of like you're your, your mother telling you, wash your hands before dinner. You, you may go run them through the water and you may really clean your hands. And if you just run them through the water, mom doesn't know how well you cleaned your hands. But in the journal review, they know whether you just ran them through the water. <laughs> so they, they are looking to make sure that you're paying attention and that you are at least justifying why you chose not to do what they suggested. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it's hard too, because lots of times when you work really hard on something like a research project and you write a paper, it's like your baby, you know, like mm-hmm. you become really attached to it. And I know the first time I submitted mine and it got rejected. So I had to send it to another publication. It was like, what? Like I worked so hard on that. So I would love to know from your experience with the Journal of Acute Care Physical Therapy specifically. What type of articles are you looking for? What type of topics? What gets accepted? What gets rejected? Can you give our audience some tips? So we accept a lot of different types of articles. I'm going to give you the types of articles that we will evaluate. And that can be found in our website. And there there you'll see information for authors. You'll see journal information. Um, But the instructions and guidelines are right there of how to go through it. And the manuscript types of what we're interested in looking at. So the one that most people think of when you're thinking about putting a paper in for review to possibly use it in your clinical practice is a research paper where you have original research and that original research is reported on. The second one that we will accept is a little less scientific. It's a novel clinical approach. And that is something that you at your facility have noticed that if we do this instead of this, that we get these better outcomes, or we're doing something different than everyone else is doing, and this is why we do it, and this is what we get from it. 
we allow structured reviews, such as a systematic review or a meta-analysis, where you're really reviewing what literature is out there to answer a question, and then you report on that structural review. The fourth one is a case report or a case series. And as you can tell, we're moving down the, the level of evidence here mm -hmm. as we but the case report case series can be one or multiple patients of what you've done differently and what, what's, what's unique about that case or that case series. And then a perspective report, which is really allowing you to dissect and analyze what's happening in the literature or concepts so that you can identify a prevalent idea or an alternative solution, something that would be of value to our audience in, in your perspective, or maybe trying to start a conversation, something like that. And then the last thing we publish are letters. So we, we do get letters to the editor. Sometimes they are blended a little bit with a perspective report. That's great information, Kevin. Thank you so much. Now I'm going to be a little selfish and disguise it as advice for somebody, for, for clinicians out there that might want to do it published because on this, in this audience right now. I'm the only, out of the three of us, I, I'm not published, but what would, what advice would you give to, let's say a clinician that has some clinical questions that they would want to investigate at their hospital? How would they go about possibly getting, you know, either initiating some type of research or on the different levels that you had talked about, what would be like a good step to move in that direction? I would say find some, has some background in doing it and mm -hmm. partner with mm -hmm. them first because mm -hmm. The person who's most dangerous in any uh, patient care activity is the one who doesn't know what they don't know. Right, right. So find somebody that at least can steer you and help guide you and, and walk you through the process. But you really need somebody to help you with the guiding questions and, and in the process of how to do it. Otherwise, you're oftentimes going to spin your wheels in those. That, that time just isn't profitable and valuable to you. If you had a clinical question that you were trying to answer and you believed that it was worthy of research, then the first step is that you have to have data collection. And that data collection can't just be something that you decide you're going to go do. Mm -hmm. Because if you're going to publish it, one of the first things that as an editor that I look for in any manuscript that's submitted with original research is a statement from the IRB, mm -hmm. the Institutional mm -hmm. Review Board. So the IRB has to approve the process under which the data are approved and collected. And, and in order to do that, probably the first step you'd have to do is do the, uh, they're probably going to require you to be, to have the certification. It's CITI training. City training, uh, yes. Yes, it stands for Institutional Training in Initiative out of the University of Miami. But it's a series of videos and scenarios that you watch and learn about mistakes that have been made in the past mm -hmm. uh, in unethical research and illegal research to, to help train you and understand that you can't just go to school and start asking children questions, mm -hmm. things like that. I did uh, a there... quick search, Kevin. It's Collaborative Institutional Training Initiative. They have those series of questions that are, that are likely free to you at your facility and your person in your research department or your analytics area can probably guide you to the account that's available to you. It takes, depending on what their requirements are, 
six hours maybe to go through the CITI training and get that certificate. But once you get that, then you can proceed with the IRB and having the IRB review your evaluation of your proposed study. And then once you, once you collect that data, then when you start analyzing it and putting together your results in your, your manuscript as a result of what your findings are, then that's where you come to our journal website and start putting it in to the, to the application process for us to review the manuscript based on what kind of manuscript it is. So do your homework first, mm -hmm. know what kind of question it is you're looking for the answer to, and how will you be able to best find that answer? Because if you go the wrong direction, again, it's going to be unfruitful more, more than likely and, and then not publishable for you. And if you're going to go to all the work of doing this, you might as well share it because that's really where, you know, we're, where we want to go with the, with the practice. So we make sure we're sharing what each of, what each of us are learning as we go through these processes. Well, and I love your advice, Kevin, about trying to find a mentor or someone who knows what they're doing to partner with, because I think many times clinicians want to do research. They have a lot of questions they want answered that could be really important but they just don't, maybe don't know how to go through the motions and faculty lots of times has to publish. So, I mean, I think a clinician partnering with a faculty member is also a great partnership. Mm -hmm. They have someone at a local university or college because the IRB process, in my experience, is also not super easy, not super user-friendly. And you really do have to have the project well thought out from beginning to end before you even submit that IRB. Also, not everyone wants to be an author, wants to publish, but is really interested in research. Are there other ways that you recommend people getting involved with the journal? Sure. So I've, I've actually worked with some clinicians who wanted to have a question answered, but didn't really want to be involved in all the process. So I helped them move through the process to allow them to collect the data. And then shared the data with me on the academic end. And then together we answered the questions may not have been something that we wanted that we ended up publishing. I'm trying to think if I've ever published anything in that manner. And I don't think I ever have, but just because you don't, you know, you may not want to publish the final result, but you want to get your clinical question answered. Don't mm -hmm. be afraid to reach out to somebody who's had that experience and let them kind of guide you and, and mentor you through that process. You know, I, I was there 20 years ago. I didn't know how to go about it. Like I said, I reached out to an anesthesiologist that I knew he was very new in his career also. And together we kind of found our way in the dark. And I think everybody has to start somewhere. So don't be afraid to reach out and ask somebody for Mm -hmm. My first, my first project was really similar where myself and another clinician, we wanted to implement this project to be able to answer a specific clinical question. So we went through the motions of implementing it in practice. And because we had relationships with doctors, a doctor actually approached us and said, hey, we actually want to submit for funding for this and get a grant and publish. Mm -hmm. And we were just like, that's fantastic. I mean, that was years ago, but that was kind of my first entry into the research world where it was just I was implementing something I wanted to do anyway in practice, and it was significant enough that someone else approached and found it valuable. So I think that partnership with somebody else mm -hmm. is really, really instrumental. But I've also heard, I've also heard like 
to learn more about the publishing process, maybe volunteering your time to be a reviewer. So is that another way people can get involved and what's involved in that? Reviewing is something that you have to apply for. Mm-hmm. And typically the, the requirement of a reviewer is to first have done publishing. So mm-hmm. have been, have been involved in the authorship process. I, I have taken some green reviewers who have not published and worked them into the process under the tutelage of others. So that's possible. But once you break that ice of publishing and you can now, you know, wear that badge of honor proudly, that certainly is the best way to make yourself a better writer and a better researcher is to become a reviewer because now you get to see what other people are saying and suggesting, and you get to think of it from the other side. So providing that review on the back end as to, you know, methodology and and statements, background, things like that, that you're evaluating to help them strengthen their project so that it is published worthy. I remember last year after CSM coming back, being so motivated, like, wow, all this great research and all these people that I had met and I was just highly motivated. I said, you know what? I think this is going to be the year. I think I'm going to take the jump and try to get something you know, I have these clinical questions specifically related to, to clinical education. And I remember I, I started going through the initial steps. And then again, some people that I was working with said, Leo, you got to pump the brakes a little bit. You have to get city, you know, IRB approval. You just can't start taking data and start showing this stuff, you know, this information in terms of you know, this is some of this is can be protected information. So I said, oh, wow. And it was a totally new world that I had never experienced in terms of that side of things. So IRB approval, city training. And so I've taken some steps to maybe initially schedule to, to kind of get that done. It's interesting too, is that the Academy of Acute Care, actually, you know, Kevin, you had talked about mentorship and partnering up, but I think there is an application where you can get mentorship through APTA Acute Care. I'm looking at the website right now and, and we can include the links for the show notes, but I think it's a 12 month appointment. You have to apply for it, but they will connect you with a mentor and kind of walk you through the process of actually getting something published. But I don't know if there's any other information you have regarding that mentorship, Kevin. Yeah, that, that is actually handled through the journal. Our deputy editor, Beth Smith, out of the University mm-hmm. of Southern California, manages that for us. So you're, when you're applying, she's reviewing your application, defining it for its own worth and making sure, again, that you've done your homework. And if it, if it rises to the level that it's promising, then she will match you up and work you through that process. And we have, I think, two people that are constantly in that process. And when it finishes, we start another one. So we're trying to develop those people in that field and allow them the opportunity to get their teeth wet and, you know, get, get moving on the process. I think it's get your feet wet, not your teeth wet. Right. (laughs) I do that all the time. My husband makes fun of me because I always say figure of speech is incorrectly. And he's like, Ashley. And I'm like, sorry, it's something like that. I know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, close enough, close enough. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. I have a question. I've always wanted to ask this question and Kevin, maybe you can ask this. So why is it, this drives me crazy, but I'm sure there's a reason for it. Why is it that every single journal's author guidelines are completely different? So like you'll write for one cup, like I might submit to this one. And then when I go to submit to this one, it's completely different. And then this one's completely different. Why is that process not standardized? You, can you answer that for me? 
Well, it is journal specific, as you found. The, uh, The journal sets its own boundaries and it typically happens over several iterations. So I just rewrote ours about six months ago. And even, I even changed what the types of articles that we would evaluate. So we use AMA reference style. I know some journals in healthcare, majority of them use AMA, but some use APA and some use kind of a cross between APA and and hieroglyphic. So that's probably the easiest thing I would say that if you're going to change between journals, this journal A didn't really appreciate what you had to say. In other words, they rejected and you think it's valuable, be afraid to go try a different journal. And if you, if you have reference software, it'll easily convert that for you from AMA to APA and back and forth. And there's probably 20 or 30 different software packages that converted into 20 or 30 different kinds of, of a format, but take those comments in the rejection and take those to heart. And again, you may not agree with all of them, but there's a reason that that journal said, no, thank you. It's either, it's just not a match for them and the content that they like to publish. Meaning for us, it's, it's the members of the acute care section. Do I think this is something that the members will find value Mm. and will be attracted to, to read this and follow this paper? Is it unique? Does it contribute to the body of knowledge? Is it something that is only one person's point of view and probably not going to be something that anybody else really cares about? So those kind of things. And, and then if they're commenting on your methodology is flawed, if your assumptions are flawed, if your, if your conclusions are flawed, read those comments and you know, again, with the, with the thick skin and say, well, they're telling me this for a reason. Don't, I, I would never send it off without making some corrections, even to another journal, simply because, you know, that was a free review. Mm-hmm when somebody reviews it and rejects it. And that's the way you have to review it. It's like, you know, in, in academics, Leo, I suspect you probably have people that, you know, you give your students an assignment and you tell them it's due on Friday. And on Wednesday, you have four people at your door. Can you read this and tell me if this is the right direction? Well, not really, because if I did that, I have to do it for everybody. Right. You know? But the review is not that case. They sent it to you for you to consider it. So use that review to your benefit and make the paper better before you send it off to another place. And and Ashley, I would also tell you, just because someone doesn't accept your paper or want to move it forward doesn't mean it isn't valuable to them. And I say that because back 15 years ago, I tried to publish my dissertation research or a piece of my dissertation research for my PhD, and I got it rejected from a very reputable journal. And their comment was that they, they thought there was a flawed methodology of a statistic that I used. Well, that was their opinion, and that had gone through my committee at my PhD level at Texas Tech, and they had approved. And I had earned my PhD using that statistic in that specific method. So their opinion was that it was okay. So I picked up the phone and I called the editor and the editor explained to me just what I just said to you, just because 
someone in review didn't think it was valuable doesn't mean it isn't valuable. Mm -hmm. So wait, give it a month or two, make some corrections based on the review that you got and resubmit it under a new number and you'll get new reviewers Mm -hmm. and they may see the value in it because the reviewers are chosen by the editor or the associate editors who reviews that paper. And you may find someone likes the value in that paper. Kevin, that is an excellent tip that I have never heard before. I will say I did resubmit it to a different journal and, you know, all is well, but I think it just wasn't a good match, but I have never heard that tip. So thank you for that. I think that's excellent. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Kevin, can you tell us, because we know you're the editor-in-chief, but you also have a lot of other important people that work with you on the journal, too. Can you tell us a little bit about the process and how those other people are involved in that? I want to make sure that the other associate editors and deputy editors, they are very important in what we do in the journal. And we have eight or ten right now that are international. You know, there's six or eight that are here in the U.S. and three that are international from Australia. I have one from the UK and one from South Africa, but their job is to really be the eyes and the ears of the, the journal. And so when a paper comes in for review, I assign reviewers and an associate editor to the paper. And those, I try to get at least two reviewers to, to write a full review on the paper. And then those reviews go to the associate editor who reads the reviews, reads the paper, and then writes kind of an overview of their review, incorporating what the reviewers have talked about. And they make a recommendation of reject, accept, or revise. And then that comes to me, and then I make the final decision. I 99.9% of the time follow those associate editor's recommendations. I want to make sure they hear how important they are in this role, as are our reviewers, because we couldn't function without everybody being involved in this process. And as a reviewer, as an associate editor, there's never a death sentence and there's never a free pass granted because I'm still on the back end making sure that that it is quality work and that it is going to be publishable or, or that it's not publishable. So, Kevin, I I hear that you're going to be presenting at CSM. Could you maybe talk a little bit about the topics you'll be presenting on? Saturday morning, I believe at 8 o'clock, it is four journal editors, myself included. I have co-presenters from the Journal of Oncology, Geriatrics, and Women's Health. And we'll be doing a two-hour session on the writing, review, and interpretation of systematic reviews. And then Saturday at 11 to 1, I believe it is, I'm working with the vice editor of the Journal of Acute Care, and we are going to basically be talking about how to publish and how to be successful in publishing in the Journal of Acute Care. I should probably go to that one. Count us in, count us in. And Ashley, you're presenting too, correct? Oh, I am. I am a couple of times. So I'm, I'm the co-chair of the KT task force for the acute care core outcome measure CPG. So I'm presenting with them, which will be great to come to because we're going to be pulling the audience as to like what barriers and facilitators do you see for being able to implement these at your facility. And then another one for the Academy of Cardiopulmon, Hart Chalier. Very cool. How about you, Leo? I'm just 
there to fill my brain with as much knowledge as possible and <laughs> advertise and let, let everyone know about our, our, our wonderful podcast that we are initiating. So no presenting for me, but and I'm also yeah. looking for NomCom too. So for nominating committee, I'll be looking for people that might want to eventually join and maybe take a leadership position. So, so that, that's, that's going to be my primary. <laughs> so the audience should watch out because you're going to see Leo and I coming around and grabbing people and asking you random questions about what session you enjoyed and Absolutely. tell us more about yourself. So it'll be fun. So okay. Kevin, you had touched base on this a little bit. And what do you foresee for the future of the, for the journal for Jackpot? especially as it relates to supporting the mission for the Academy of Acute Care Physical Therapy? Great question. The journal is there to support the society, you know, the academy. So we will continue to do everything we can in order to support that mission, which has become the primary source of scientific resources for advancing the practice of acute care physical therapy among clinicians and promoting physical therapy as an integral part of acute care practice. What that means to me is as editor and what I have proposed to the board of directors of the, of the academy is one of my main goals in the next three to five years is to get the journal indexed in Medline. And what that means is that it would be searchable and included in any kind of search you would do on PubMed with the National Institute of Health. Right now, some of our papers show up there, but it's not all of our papers. If, and that is an application process. It's a long application process that requires a, a review board at the National Institute of Health to make a determination if the journal is rigorous enough is publishing papers that are valuable enough to the society in order for them to spend their time indexing it, basically. We have applied, in my knowledge, once for the journal, and we were denied. Primarily, the reason that I remember being an, an associate editor back in those days was we didn't have enough original research. So we were publishing a lot of those case study reports, a lot of the perspective reports, a lot of the unique clinical approach reports. We just didn't have a lot of basic research that we were publishing at the time. And when you have that kind of, of submissions that are coming in regularly, then the acceptance rate is higher than what the NIH wants to see it. So they want to see that you have more papers than you can publish and that your, your rigor is high. So one of the things that I have really tried to make an effort and impress upon the editorial board members who are assisting me in, in the administration of the journal is that if we see papers come in that really could be converted to original research to, to try to encourage the author to do that and not take the, the, you know, the, the easier way, I guess is one way to say it. And, and if we do get original research and it's something that is valuable or would be valuable, just because it's poorly written or their methodology issues, let's see if we can help the author correct it so that we can continue to move this paper forward and be able to publish that original research. So if we can get that along with, and I hate to say it, but a, an, an increased rejection rate, when I'm, I'm here for talking to you today to help you 
people understand why we're here for them. It's really in the better good of the journal and in, in physical therapy in general, if we can continue to have more papers than we can publish so that we can reject those ones that are not real strong and have that track record when we do apply again, that our rejection rate is much higher than it was when we had applied, you know, several years ago. And it is today. We, we are continuing to move in that direction. And as we get to that point, I'll, I'll work with the, the publisher in producing that application and attempting to get that Medline access so that we are searchable in PubMed. And then, then you kind of feel like you've arrived as a journal and then you can be building an impact factor. Well, and I think, Kevin, it's I think that's really important to to mention to our audience because, you know, if their paper gets rejected or if they get feedback that like, hey, this needs to be more original research, I think it's helpful for them to know the why, because I think in the long run, your goal and your mission for the future of the journal is just going to uplift our profession in the long run and make us more visible to other health professions out there. So I think I really think that's wonderful what you're doing. I think it's a great goal. And I wish you all the best and fully support you in it. Thank you. And just before we do the rapid response, we have not mentioned this, but we just have to, because I, I mean, my husband would truly be jealous of this. Augusta National Golf Club, you've been seasonally employed there for the last four years. And that's, that's like a big deal. Can you just tell us like for a brief, brief moment about that before we do our rapid responses? Sure. So I was just in the right place at the right time when I went to Augusta University. I happened to go to an information session and I was in a suit that day. And the vice president of security happened to notice me in the audience and made a comment that maybe there's a professor in, in the crowd of students that were there for seasonal employment. And I nodded. And so then he kind of felt like he had to make up for it. So after, after the session was over, I walked up and talked to him, said, hey, I'm, I'm new to Augusta. I'm a, a golf fanatic. I've never been to the Masters. I'd love to go. Do you have a job for me? And he goes, well, what do you do? And I told him what my role was. And he said, well, you've been supervising people for many years. And I said, I have been. He said, could you supervise a security force? I said, you just show me where. So I, I, I manage the north and south gates with paid employees. And it's our job to make sure that they only get on the premises if they're a ticket holder. And we, we have a secondary role in scouting and making sure that their health is okay, that they're, you know, not overheated or have forgotten something in their car or trying to bring something in that they're not supposed to have before they go through the, the magnetometer. And it's, it's been a very rewarding, I've, they keep inviting me back and I enjoy it. So this will be my fifth year in April. Wow. That's amazing. So my husband's also a golf fanatic. He grew up in Pinehurst, Southern Pines area, and his parents still live there today. And he's always said, I want to play Augusta National because it's a private golf course. And yeah, that's, that's really cool. So we're going to talk after this show. Leo, do you want to start us on our rapid yeah, cool. response? This is our rapid responses. So. All right. You re everybody ready? This is, okay, like, no. this is like RRTs in the hospital, the rapid responses <laughs> response. our rapid responses. Okay. Okay. You go quick. Right. We go quick. Like it's like okay. a speed round, like lightning round. Okay. All right. Ready? All right. And go. All right, Kevin. If a movie was made about your life, who would play you? Kevin Bacon. All right. Awesome. I love it. I love it. Okay. 
summer or winter? Summer. Kevin, does pineapple belong on pizza? Absolutely. <laughs> right. I right. fiction or nonfiction? Fiction. All right. Name one influential physical therapist in your career. Ooh, not oh my Marty Hinman. Kevin, should we ban polo shirts for physical therapists to wear? No. No. Okay. And just in case the audience doesn't know, he's wearing a polo right now. <laughs> okay. Kevin, what's your favorite scrub color? Red. What is your most favorite holiday dessert? Pumpkin pie. Oh, okay. Favorite book or TV show? That's so many. My favorite TV show is probably something like, I can't think the name of it. Iron Restoration, I think it's called. Iron Resurrection. Iron Resurrection. I don't know. What are you doing that that show? They take old cars and rebuild them, refurbish them. That makes perfect sense, given your history in sales and cars. (laughs) Okay. And then the question we have to ask everybody, you know you work in acute care when? Fill in the blank. When I show up at the door and I say, are you Mr. Smith? And he says, I'm what's left of him. (laughs) Oh, that's great. I love it. I love it. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for being here today. Where can our listeners find you if they're looking for you? Do you have social media or an email or anything you want to share? I, well, the journal has a Facebook page. Okay. I have a Facebook page. I have a LinkedIn page and the journal has a LinkedIn page. So Wonderful. any of those. We can get those yeah, we can get those from you and put them in the show notes and share those. Okay. All right. It was nice to like officially meet you and thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Yeah, thank you very much. Yo, thank you. You too. Thank hope you. hope to run into you in, in uh, San Diego. Yeah, I'm sure we will. We would like to thank Dr. Kevin Bruley for joining us as our first official guest. Acute Conversations is the official podcast of APT Acute Care. It is hosted by Dr. Leo Argulis and Dr. Ashley Poole, produced and edited by Dr. Edward Mathis, co-producer Dr. Katie Bertolt, music by Alexia Action from Pixabay, sound effects from Pixabay. For more information about APT Acute Care, please go to aptacutecare.org. If you found value from our podcast, please be sure to like and subscribe. Join us next week as we talk to Dr. Bridget Griffin and talk about her APTA Association Leadership Scholarship Project, The State of Productivity in Acute Care Physical Therapy. Thank you for listening.